welcome to episode 73 of Q&A Quest. That sounds right. We'll go with 73. Wheels, it's Wheels' job to cut it, cut in the correct number afterwards since he disappeared from the opening of this. So, I think you're you know. actually on that, too. Oh, man. I should have gotten it wrong, so we'd have to cut something in. Yes. Oh, well. Uh, that is... Okay, that's me. I'm me. I'm always me. David, family master, whatever. And with us, as thankfully per usual. The, your man in Japan, Gaijin Monogatari. Uh, hmm? Just call me Gaijin, just because if we are on a first-name basis around here, it gets really confusing really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Still haven't managed that Council of Mics episode. Maybe one day. I'm just amazed uh, that we have managed to hold on to this many Michaels on staff for the better part of a decade. Yeah, there's probably some sort of Illuminati nonsense going on with that, but... Did you ever read an old um, an old webcomic called Narbonic? Oh, I remember that. I didn't read much of it, but I did read some. You should go back and read it sometime, because the, the art gets steadily better and the story is always hilarious. But one of the major plot points was that there was a worldwide conspiracy of people named Dave. Uh, I'm uh, legally not allowed to comment on that. <laughs> oh yes, because if you break um, if you break the uh, code of the Daves, then you are automatically relegated to non-Dave status, and everybody will somehow naturally just start referring to you as David all the Listen, time. No Daves. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I haven't said anything. Yes. <sighs> so I'd like to formally apologize for the audio snafus that happened last uh, episode. They were not my fault, I swear. <laughs> Even why, though they left. Why are you apologizing? Because we know whose fault it was, because he already apologized. I'm just saying that I feel like I owe an apology because it meant that the back 30 minutes of the podcast were me talking to myself, and that was a dangerous precedent to set. <laughs> oh no we know that you like to talk to yourself all the time anyway it's true but no one else should have to hear it <laughs> well apparently um the one person to actually comment on the forum thread thought it was quite interesting <laughs> i'm so sorry yeah. okay Gaijin, please please before this gets any worse please okay. tell me it's been a few weeks tell us tell me about metal magazine well it's been fun, but at the same time, I am actually quite happy that I will not be providing the official staff review for this game. Mm-hmm. Because while, um, I mean, it does a lot of things right, it does a lot of things much better than Metal Saga did, it also ended up cutting out a lot of elements that I really enjoy about the series. That's what I was kind of worried about with that first trailer, is that it seemed like it was cutting some of the, like, I, I can't say for sure what they've cut cut that you did, were disappointed by, but it seemed like it seemed like it was trying to go for a more serious audience, and that seemed like kind of a mistake. Well, like I said last time, um, heavy, grim, metal, dark. <sighs> Which, I mean, we're, we're talking about post-apocalypse here, and um, my comments last time, to the contrary, as it turns out, the game is set almost 80 years post-destruction. Um, they finally actually dated it pro properly, which ah. means... And that in this version of canon, the evil supercomputer actually did use nukes. Oh, wow. Which, as I mentioned last, in, last time in the previous canon, it seems that he didn't. So this seems to set itself entirely in a different, like, 
like not the same metal max that you've seen before canon well, i guess the it, that's the thing it kind of is and it kind of isn't because one of the characters that you can put in your party is a specific reference to metal max 2 hmm yeah i mean same name same nickname about 30 years younger that's an interesting attempt to split the difference, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, a lot of it is just that since they've, um, I mean, the entire story of the game revolves around a sudden and extreme increase in um, robotic destruction, taking out literally every other settlement in the Tokyo area. Mm. Um, and, and you have a total, um, and there's a grand total of 10 speaking characters in the game, nine of whom are actually alive. One's an android. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, so one of the things that made most of the games in this series really stand out is, well, there is no act. there was very rarely a strong central plot line. Instead, there was just pockets of survivors all over the place being kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And so this game takes the complete opposite approach and has a strong central storyline with fairly decent characterizations and almost nothing else plot-wise. Hmm. So you're just you're just uh, ex- pushing through different areas of what used to be Tokyo and not even all of Tokyo, they could have expanded it a bit more. And I'm my, my brain is just going through all the ways that they could have gone this way or that way like have one or two other bands of survivors working at cross purposes. Um, mm. I mean, this is like the only game in the series to lack a super muscle man villain. Ah. Oh. So, uh, I mean, okay, for the audience at home, um, literally every single other game, the previous six games in the series have all had at least one boss that could be characterized as a super muscle man. And this particular game could have could have just recycled the original Metal Max's Mr. Muscle boss quite well. Mm-hmm. Because that character, he's um, hiding out in a hospital that was created by Muteki Medical, um, one of the fictitious companies in the setting. And he's basically gotten himself so high on super soldier drugs that he has gone completely insane. Wow. <laughs> and that kind of... Um, I mean... I could imagine just coming across one of the random ruins in the game, and it was a hospital, like one of Muteki Medical's old research centers, and it being just um, just inhabited by one of these crazy super soldier guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the same set. Um, this is uh, that was the first in a series of characters that included Father Muscle from Metal Saga, who used Muteki Medical um, super soldier rehab pods. To brainwash his followers into becoming ridiculously over-muscled bodybuilders, fanatically loyal to him. That might also be the plot of at least one Choaniki game. Quite possibly, yes. But Choaniki did not have the benefit of again one of my favorite examples of good localization from Atlas, uh, having the leader of the cult making exhortations to St. Arnold of, and the Blessed Turboflex. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, that's something that they missed out on in Xeno. 
Uh, hopefully whatever follows up Zeno can bring back in some of the more distinct characteristics of the franchise. I'm really hoping so. Um, I mean, another thing that they could have done, I'm not sure if they could actually do this because this was one of the uh, bosses that were specific to the Metal Saga games, Mm -hmm. Metal Saga DS, Mm -hmm. but um, in the last quarter of of Metal Saga DS, um, there's this one area you could explore and you just find a this little ranch house, like mm-hmm. something out of, the, out of suburban California, just in the middle of nowhere, completely uninhabited. Hmm. Um, but as you explored and you stay the night and strange stuff happens, and it turns out that um, it's the home of one of the game's wanted monsters, specifically a three-part robot assassin squad called Killer Kitchen. I'm all in on this. Yes, it is, it is a it is a microwave range and refrigerator combo designed to kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could buy, I could buy that. So, I mean, I would have loved to just have randomly come across this place in Xeno, and have the characters looking around and making comments and stuff, and then staying the night only to be ambushed by the electrical appliances. Like, arguably, that would have been, like, more amusingly, like, out of step just when, because you had actual char- more actual characters to react to it, to just, here's this completely crazy thing. I mean, Metal, Metal Saga DS also had actual characters, um, ah. but it was a little more freeform on how they were used. They, there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of central characterization. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were interesting, but they weren't, I mean... That what they only, what their only, personalities were wasn't central to this story, I'd imagine. Only a few of them, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was another one that would have been really fun? Um, okay, no, that would be masked spoilers on one character, so no. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, what was another good one? I mean, there's just so many little random things that could have been added in, or had presentation changed, or, I mean. Well, for that matter, the ruins, most of the ruins that you explore in Xeno yeah. are what's left after a giant literal factory of death rolled through and blasted them into oblivion. So you don't mm. see a lot of variety in the ruins in this game. Uh. They're mostly half-caved-in concrete bunkers. Mm-hmm. Um and even the one that is actually a still, or the handful that are still standing skyscrapers that yeah. you're going through, they're still half collapsed on the inside, and they look about the same. <sighs> I guess that's them trying to stretch a budget, but it's disappointing nonetheless. Yes. So, yeah, a lot of the architectural uniqueness, I mean, there are major landmarks of Tokyo that are still visibly there. Mm-hmm. And, sometimes in two or three pieces, but still there. Yeah. Um, but you don't actually get to explore them. You just end up going around them and making commentary on them. Huh. Yeah. It's a choice, so I guess. Hand, on the other hand, the game does inherit all of the benefits of the DS period's um, fiddling with the battle system. Mm. Which makes yeah, it quite a bit better than Metal Saga on PlayStation 2 just from that. Yeah, I remember playing Metal Saga on PS2, and I remember basically nothing about the combat, and that's probably for the best. Metal Saga um, 
to did not really do anything to change its combat from the Super Famicom period. Mm. Um, but they added in, I mean, that's where the control and interface, but they added in things like um, altitude and digging in that required mm. special shells to do. Ah. And they, they messed around with the protector system, um, the items called protectors. Yeah. In a way that was very unique for that game, and more to the point, was never duplicated in any other game of the series. Hmm. Yeah. Um, because after that, they all um, all the games went with having equipment with specific resistances to different attack types. Mm-hmm. Instead of giving you a special item slot for a, a shield that would block almost completely block one type of attack damage and then break if anything else hit it. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So, yeah. So in that regard, um, for combat and for a lot of the interface and item management, Xeno is much better than Metal Saga. Plot-wise, <sighs> also quite interesting at times, and I'm very interested in seeing how the localizers get around some of the very frank and open discussions on the subject of future repopulation. Yeah, it seems like something that they might be concerned about how it's going to fly with I'm not even sure what target audience they think it'll have in the U.S. People who really enjoyed Mad Max. Yeah, as much as that's probably who would most likely be interested in a post-apocalyptic story, I think that there's a certain subset that would be into that, but who would also say, this looks incredibly Japanese, and then go buy something else, I guess. I'm also wondering how they're going to deal with um, one of the characters, the... uh, the uh, soldier lady Maria, who is very obviously out fighting in combat lingerie. Hmm. I'm wondering if they're going to do some graphical alterations to her character model before it gets outside Japan. Yeah, like the other option is like to just say screw it and just presume that it will sell to basically like, you know, the 12 otaku who already know what Metal Max is. But... Yeah. Um,. Yeah, honestly, reskinning or just giving her a different outfit would probably help a lot with the ratings boards. Probably a lot more than anything. Um, a lot more than just relying on people to buy it anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It really is just a question of who they think they're aiming it at in the U.S. Because that's going to determine a lot about how they handle the content that's in there. <sighs> but, yeah, it sounds like kind of a mixed bag, but I'm glad that it's at least a Metal Max that will exist in English. That's True. cause enough for celebration. But I'm, I'm probably going to go back and play some of the DS games later this year. Just for fun. Yeah. I, think, I think I've still got... I restarted Metal Saga DS last year mm-hmm. and um, got and just moved on to something else and I was having trouble remembering how to navigate the Antive level um because that that place is like 15 different exits and um oh boy or not that many it's like eight um and it got really annoying and i just like okay i'm just gonna move on because i already played this game it sounds like enough exits to be irritating when you're trying to find one specific one yeah oh i mean not quite as annoying as the cave earlier in that game that has um actual tied rules um, so, like, you go into one through one of the entrances, and the tide changes. Mm. 
and different different paths in the level are accessible at different points depending on how high the water is. I absolutely see how someone on, on paper thought this sounded interesting, and I absolutely see how this would be super irritating to deal with. <laughs> yes. Uh, and even better, the way that they handled the world map on that game, it's... Uh, so, um, there are points on the map with little paths between them. Mm -hmm. And so the paths will change between, point, between the different entrances to this cave, mm. depending on the tides. Ah. Oh. So. <sighs> well, I think Middle Max Zeno has almost every non-human wanted monster or non-human, non-humanoid wanted monster in the main series, non-metal saga, hmm. as either an actual wanted monster or a variation or a special super powerful monster that happens to be found in one ruin or another. But... Can I recruit a dog? No. <sighs> I was. Um, there is a poster in the ma the main base for the um, the party. There's a poster of the dog, and it says that it's in remembrance of, of this dog who faithfully sat beside his master's tank for many years after the guy died. <laughs> Which is a direct reference to the first boss battle of Metal Max, the original game, which was Pochi the War Dog. That's a pretty good deep cut. I'll give him that. Guarding his master's tank. His master had ne never returned because he had died like 10 years before. Mm -hmm. Very and traditional uh, Japanese story of... Oh, what's that? Hachiko? Hachi. Stuff like that. Hachi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's named after Hachi. Pochi. Oh, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so... Yeah, that little dog was so popular with the fans of the first game that they brought him back as a party member for every other game in the series, except Zeno. So, again, let's hope if they have a Zeno 2, there will be dogs. Metal Max Zeno... Let's just make that the subtitle, too. Metal Max Zeno 2, there will be dogs. Or dogs of war. There's a lot of good dog-based subtitles we can go with here. Yes, who let the dogs out? Yes. Oh, God. Okay, nope, nope, nope. Uh... Wheels is back, so now that we have done our Metal Max more than a minute, let's uh, have a short musical interlude, and then we will be back. And we're back, and I'm here! Yay! I mean, I won't argue against it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I hope... Did you guys go over anything about the new site? The new os, the new hotness. No, no, we were talking well, entirely about Metal Max Zeno. Oh, that's good. That's but good. but I'm noting that we don't really have a lot of questions this week because I guess a lot of people don't know where to put them now. Or I think we still have some. We still have some from last episode. Uh, we have about five from Budai. Okay. But yeah. for just from last episode. From the form from last episode. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that is something I haven't figured out yet. Obviously, on each podcast post, people will be able to leave comments, so you can leave questions there. Um, we'll be sure to read those. So I'm not sure, like, what else to do. I think I might create a thread somewhere on the forums, like, 
for people to dump questions. The uh, eternal Q&A side quest. Yeah. So, I mean, like, for episode 72, we got zero comments on the actual post on the main site. Yeah. And only, I mean, aside, <clears throat> aside from commentary on recording, only two posts from Budai on the forums, which is not like him. It's true. <clears throat> to be fair, we also disappeared for like three weeks, so. It's true. Yeah, which is why, but I mean, we haven't had, he hasn't posted anything on there for two weeks, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Usually are you, if, are you if okay, Budai? You we miss you. Well? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we will continue answering questions until we are out. The sun dies, or both. So. Yes. Uh, I will. The next episode, I will discuss whatever the heck I figured out. I may create like some sort of Google Doc for people to send in questions. Just probably going to need some more avenues because I don't know how. You know, I don't know if people are going to use the comments. It's kind of too early to tell. And I think the forums are probably going to see less traffic in general. So, uh, well, at least I, at least I just did confirm that if you check podcasts on at the top of the website, you can find them directly, and so we don't have to try and search through and try to remember where they are. Yeah, and yeah. and thankfully. Uh, when I add a show, it automatically gets added to that history. It automatically gets added to the RSS. Bada bing, bada boom. No more wheels forgot to update the archive for six episodes in a row. Oh, I didn't forget. I I threw in the towel. I was like, I'm waiting for the new site. Enough of this. Wow. Well, point is, no more... Well, sometimes you threw in the towel. Late, late in life, you threw in the towel. But for a while there, you just gave up. Oh, like yeah, for a while true. there, you were just like forgetting things. But I mean, it was a pain in ge- for anything in general. Because I mean, to post uh, just for a podcast to post it, you had to do the news post, you had to do the forum thread. Then I had to manually update the RSS file and manually update the archive. And God forbid anything goes wrong somewhere in that, along that process. Yeah, uh, I I can sympathize. Yeah. I can sympathize. <laughs> Now everything is. Sure uh, yeah. I'm sure there are still irregularities in the Japandemonium archives that have not been fixed for the last eight years. <laughs> uh, now they're just uh, glorious quirks that it would be wrong to get rid of. Yes, they're tradition. Yes. Ah. Well, shall we actually get to one of Budai's questions since he was so nice to actually give us a few? Yes, let's yeah. do that. Okay. <clears throat> do you feel God of War? and other games are showing an aging of the gaming world. Just being a raging maniac isn't that cool anymore. So now Kratos is a weary dad trying to understand things. Or maybe the idea of what is mature is finally starting to shift. What do you think? Uh, The datification of games has been an ongoing project for at least the last seven or so years. I, I remember seeing an interview with like one of the head guys for God of War saying that like his relation own relationship with his son and the way things didn't always go too well during the previous God of War's production phase was an influence on how he approached the um the latest game. Yeah, there's there's kind of an ongoing sort of uh like, you'll notice that all of these games that star dads have a few things in common. Like, they're, a, they're like a dad that's, like, in his 40s, maybe approaching 50. 
He's a, like, he doesn't really understand how to interact with people. He's pretty grumpy and like he's got an estranged relationship with a child or like, that is either his or a surrogate for his child that he spends the entire game trying to learn to connect with and care for. So and, that would be uh, Dad of War, at least one or two Yakuza games. Last uh, of Us. Last of Us. Um, I'm going um, to say Near might count. Yeah, there's uh, some Near in there. So. But uh, uh, Red Dead Redemption was like an early shot in that direction. Uh, there's a lot, like, they reflect a lot on, one, the kind of person who is capable of getting far, like, high enough into a game's development hierarchy to become responsible for the script and direction of a AAA game is also the kind of person who is probably not there for their kids very often and probably feel some regret about that someone who doesn't really understand what their kids are going through on some level just by virtue of the fact that they're not home that often and someone who has thus somewhat of a strained relationship with them and that seems to keep coming up again and again in these triple a dad games well you know what they say write what you know mm -hmm. yeah so and it i mean it is getting a little oversaturated but at the same time we get stuff like dad of war yeah which is i mean it's at least an evolution for the character um whose uh dr dramatic range is angry angry little angry really angry and let's kick the world in the balls angry. let's murder all the gods all of let's, them like oh, let's murder oh, literally everything he can find and damn the consequences to anyone else there's there is a part of me like while playing dad of war that like it's just like i wish you could have just tossed this character out because i get what you're trying to do but i think there's so much baggage here that i don't think it completely works mm -hmm. but it's it's a more ambitious plot line than they've tried before and i do respect that it, it is a much better game than its predecessors so i can't be too mad at it it's it is one of those things though where I do think that like they they're gonna like AAA games in that space are going to need to start drawing on a broader range of possible protagonists because a lot of these are starting to tell the same story. I should point out that also Uncharted Four kind of also starting to tell this story as well. Uh, mm, I disagree. That's why I said starting to not telling the same story. It is still very much like this. You you see that in that like. These game directors who were in their, like, 20s and 30s when they conceived these characters who were, like, uber machismo, like, the big man who shoots the other mans, or maybe even just the smooth guy who's, like, constantly, like, Han soloing his way through situations are suddenly making these games about, like, oh, no, I'm old. And it's, like... Well, that does yeah. kind of happen with, um, with auteur-type creators sometimes. Did you ever hear the theory about the various captains of Star Trek? I don't think I've heard this applied to Star Trek in specific. Well, um, for the series that had Gene Roddenberry as the, the leader, mm, you can see oh. that the original series, Gene Roddenberry saw himself as Captain Kirk. Mm -hmm. That was kind of his vision of his perfect self, was like the, the cowboy diplomacy, sleeping his way around the galaxy kind of thing. Mm. And then when we got to Next Generation, he was a lot older, more mature, and he saw himself as the smooth talking very um, calm and collected diplomat. Mm -hmm. And so you get Captain Picard. 
Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, I, I'm of mixed feelings about it because it is a natural thing for humans to do. But on another level, it's like once enough of you are all doing the same thing, it's like one of you needs to have enough self-awareness to look that everyone else is doing it and needs to like consciously accept that like you either need to uh, tackle this story from another direction or you need to maybe look for some another story to tell. <laughs> oh, but, no, just imagine for the next God of War, um, his son is dating. Oh, man. <laughs> Date of War. Oh, and, no. And so... So now we have the moral problem of do we actually destroy this pantheon that's threatening reality or do we let your son actually have date one of the cosmic beings? Do we destroy um, the gods or does son go to prom? Yes. Dad of prom. <laughs> prom of war. Uh, I know enough about the new God of War story to know where this is going and it's probably not that fun. Uh See, I don't actually know anything about the game series. I just know all these random memes that are, have been popping up for the last six months. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I've played enough of it. Oh, God. Plus, I'm thinking he's he's elim um, literally eliminated the entire Greco-Roman pantheon. The most recent game was against the Norse pantheon. What's next? I'm thinking Hindi. Ooh. That'd be interesting. And and the Hindi, the Hindu pantheon has some very nice-looking goddesses. It does raise the problem of you're attacking the pantheon of a group of people that, like, are still a gigantic force of people actually worshipping, as opposed to, like, yeah. yes, there, yeah. are, there are neo-pagans that do but, worship the so, uh, old pantheons, but... Well, okay, well, then let's try Egyptian pantheon. Still some very nice-looking goddesses involved. Also true. Yes, um, or go a bit more exotic and hit the Nahuatl um, Mexican pantheons. Oh man, which is a lot be of options. Very here. interesting in all the wrong ways. Um, so I like so not... I like all these ideas, and I'd like yeah. to subscribe Listen. to your newsletter, please. Listen, one Thank day you. you're gonna. <laughs> or... One day you're gonna be punching someone in a God of War game, and that person is going to be like, look exactly like a. Uh, like Central American god who has like a who has like thorns pulled through their tongue. I'm trying to remember which one that was that I saw that depiction. Quite a few. Um, yeah, quite a few certainly. Um, let's see. Huitzilopochtli. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, or I mean, let's see. Which company makes God of War? It's Sony. It's Sony Santa Monica. So okay, so it's the California branch. Can you imagine if the Santa Monica branch teamed up with the Tokyo branch, got together to make the next God of War, and it turns out that Kratos's son is dating like um, the goddess Uzume, <laughs> and they um, because if there is one world religion that has no absolutely no problems about making up really crazy stuff on their own pantheon, it's Shintoism. Yeah, yeah. Um, Plus, there's I just mean, the infinite of them if you try hard enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, just look at Okami. Frost God yeah. of War with Okami, and that could get really funny really fast. Um. I don't. I don't know that I have the. I don't know that I have the personal capacity to properly cross those over, and do it justice. Oh, just. Um, I mean, Shinto is Shinto mythology already has a 
dichotomy between the Yamato cults pantheon and several of the pre-existing pantheons from one of the older island cultures. Yeah. Um, so just have Kratos going up against Okuninushi and some of the other um, early deities. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not too dissimilar from what ended up happening in the first Kuzunoha Raido game on PlayStation 2. It was those two same pantheons fighting each other. Oh, yeah. So. Man, been forever. <sighs> yeah. So, um, yeah, just, just have him, like, have his son dating one of the Amatsugami clan and fighting the Kunitsugami. <laughs> there you go. Or having him go head-to-head -head with Suzanoo. These would all be way more. These would all be really fun, but I suspect that they're gonna. They're not gonna be done with the Norse pantheon inside of the next fifteen years. So, see, I have no idea how many, if any, deities in that pantheon are alive at the end of God of War, whatever it is now. Like, like I'll give you the. I'll give you the download. There's only one that gets killed over the course of this game. Never mind. So that's at least. Oh dang. It. I forget exactly how many deities are actually remembered from that pantheon, but it's upwards of three or four dozen. But yeah, there's maybe, a lot of them left over. But maybe, at most, a dozen who are big enough names for the gaming community to care about. Like it's all so, just building. Like they didn't, and, they didn't blow their shots with like the biggest ones. Like I don't think that there's a Thor fight, and there's definitely not an Odin fight. Yeah. So yeah, basically, as long as most of the Norse deities that fans would recognize from Marvel comics are still alive. <laughs> good to go. Uh, because those are the only ones they would care about. I mean, Odin, those are the only ones you could frame an entire game around a conflict with. Well, granted, because most of the other deities known to Norse mythology are literally just names in a story. Mm -hmm. Because the, the actual recorded mythology is very fragmentary when you actually look at it. Your, um, your sources, prose edits, poetic edits. Yes. That's about it. I mean, most of the books on, on books that you would read on Norse mythology, like in junior high school, if you had an English teacher like that, yeah. are based, are, are very liberally based on material taken from the Eddas. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen to mention that a lot of it is like a couple lines at most. A lot of attempts to interpolate some actual, like, connective tissue between a couple of lines of surviving story. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, Shintoism is very, very loosely done on everything, but it still has a better connected mythology than Norse mythology does. Mm -hmm. Which is part of what makes it ripe for, like, reinterpretation in stories, because it's just like, well, you've got a handful of things that people know about and not much to violate. <laughs> yeah. So unlike... Actually, no, I mean... It would have been really funny if they'd gotten some deep cuts into Roman mythology because when you look at it, Roman and Greek mythology are very different in structure. Yeah. I mean, the Greeks approached um, mythology as a soap opera. The Romans approached it as a, like, bureaucratic model. Mm -hmm. So you ended up with all of these deities designed, literally designed to fill in spots in a divine bureaucracy based on the concept of cult, where if you had a specific problem, you went to the priest, they figured out which deity you had to propitiate, and then they would do the praying for you, and it would work. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you just work out, like, the who who in the hierarchy is actually responsible for the problem you're having? And the thing is, since in Latin, the majority of abstract nouns are feminine in gender, mm-hmm. that's why you end up with, like, 80% of the pantheon being goddesses. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Justicia, Victoria, I mean, what was it? Bibesia, the goddess of alcohol. <laughs> Seriously, yes. Um, yeah, Bibesia, goddess of banquets and drink. Uh, partnered with Edesia, the goddess of food. I'm down with that. That's a good partnership. <laughs> yeah, so apparently um, all the great feasts were started with a support prayer Edesia and Edesia to bless the higher meal. So, but yeah. So yeah, the Greeks approached it as a soap opera. The Romans had an incredibly business-like, bureaucratic approach to it. And then you had mythologies like the Norse or the, the Polynesians, where it was basically a superhero fan fiction. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, if you look at the Norse gods, they are the, like, the best of the best exemplars of everything that is supposed to be manly and good. So, There's a lot of options there. I'm curious what, if any, they end up exploring beyond just, like, ultimately ending ending up having Kratos tear through an, another entire pantheon. Because, like, the game on some level feels like it wants to have its cake and eat it, because, like, you've still got... You've got Kratos, and, like, the entire concept is built on the idea of, like, He's supposed to be being calm, he's supposed to be, be trying to be a dad, but also, like, the fundamental premise of the game still requires that there be situations where you have to tear through gods. Yes. So. Because that is the fundamental core of the entire series. Yep. Yeah. And it's so, just... Yeah. But yeah, it's off just, the top of my head, there are one, two, three, four, five maybe six pantheons that have enough collected material in them that could be used for a God of War game. And that's really stretching it on Polynesian. It's time to go digging for more Sumerian. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe Sumerian and ancient, um, ancient Persian, but those mm. would be really deep cuts. Um, at at gonna... most, four pantheons that have enough um, enough culture exposure to be even recognizable. Yeah, I'd sooner expect them to just reboot, hard reboot the entire thing and just go right back to Greece. <laughs> that would be boring. That would be boring, but it also sounds like something that a board of directors would approve much more quickly than half of these other other ideas. So. Yeah, there there is that. I mean, you want some sort of name recognition when you're putting a game together. So. That's why they went with Thor instead of some really random deity for Marvel Comics. Yeah. Like, that was still, actually, that I, was still I, a random as hell idea. It would just be like, eh, Norse god. Yeah, super, he's a superhero. I, I remember some random superhero webcomic at one point where there were some obvious parodies with Marvel, and yeah. the super team in this one actually had Bishamon as the Thor <laughs> variant. And I'm like... I know who this is. I don't think anyone else would know who this is. I know this guy. 
I don't know why you know this guy. <laughs> yeah. And more to the point, where are the other six lucky gods? Uh. Uh. There's, there's a lot of material to cover on God of War, which now probably counts enough as an RPG to not feel like a total tangent to discuss here. Mm. But. Yeah. It's got a lot of stats, it's got a lot of leveling up, it's got a lot of equipment frippery. Um, I, I know that, I, I think Nyx has actually argued for putting God of War on the site on occasion. Um, Th this new one, I would say, probably belongs here. Okay. Oh, well, shall we move on to the next question before I run out of time and have to go? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, next question. What is your favorite pre-SCNet pre-Super Nintendo RPG if you have one. Saga, a.k.a. Final Fantasy Legend. Final Fantasy yeah. Legend's probably a good choice. Uh, I would say Saga 2 over Saga 1. But, Does yeah. that predate the Super NES, though? Let's, um, let's well, consult the interwebs. Well, let's count it from when the Super Nintendo was released in America. Okay. Just because not sh because there is some overlap with. Yeah. You know, he did say SNES and not Super Famicom. It's a December fourteenth, nineteen ninety game in Japan, which means that it comes out in Japan before it comes out, uh, before the SNES comes out in America. When did the SNES release in America? Uh, it's ninety one. Okay. So, yeah, that would be cutting it really close. Um, but let's say, well, what were some of the good um, pre-Super Nintendo RPGs? So I would say probably Dragon, Dragon Quest III. Yeah, three or Dragon Quest three or four, if that came out pre-Super pre Nintendo. Yeah, the, but... I the mean, first Dragon saga Quest definitely predates it. It does. What were we saying, yeah. Gaijin? Dragon Quest four, the original version, was released on original Famicom, but I'm not sure where what it was released on in America. It was original. It was original NES in America, but it would have been in like 1992 here. <laughs> uh, yeah, 1990 in Japan. Uh, what time in 1990? Because the February Super Famicom. Okay, it predates the Super Famicom by like nine months. Yeah, I mean it was re it was like at the very end of that generation. Yeah, like it, the the Famicom kind of like. It, it lasts until 94 in Japan, but it's it, it's winding down by 1990. Yeah. But, yeah, so Dragon Quest IV is kind of the swan song for NX. It's one of the most ambitious Famicom RPGs. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I, I can't really think of anything that would take the title of, like, most interesting or impressive one that actually predates the Super Nintendo. Mm. Mother! Oh, Mother... Ooh, that's a good one. I don't Earthbound really like Zero Mother was. one, but... Earthbound Zero was for Super Nintendo... Or was from original Nintendo. Let's see. Oh, Tengai uh, Machio 1, if you're into that. Uh, e um, East 1 and 2 on uh, Turbo CD. Is that yeah. not a 1992 game? Uh, it was not. North America, 1990. Japan, wow. December 21st, 1989. Wow. Yeah. Let's see, Mother was 1989, mid-summer. Yeah. yeah, like you're... Like, you get a lot of these, like, influential ones that, like, would have Super Nintendo sequels that were much more popular, but that are very late uh, Famicom games, or, like, Fami like just before the Super Famicom games that are very impressive for that time. 
then you have stuff like Metal Max, which was not very impressive for its time, and it was actually released 1991. Hmm. I guess to round out the collective of like places that deserve representation, like Fantasy Star 1 or 2 would both qualify as well. True enough, yes. I like Fantasy Star 2 a lot more in theory than in practice, but I still think it's a very impressive game in a lot of ways. So, um, Wasteland. Oh, that's, oh, a, yeah, yeah, that's a good if, one. If you're grabbing like Western PC games, Wasteland's one of them. Yeah. I still, one of my favorite crazy things about Western PC games at the time is that like parties in like one of the Wizardry games, one of the Ultima, Ultima games, and like the Bard's Tale were cross-compatible. Mm-hmm. And it's just baffling <laughs> to imagine that being pos- possible. Yep. So, um, Quest for Glory, first game. Oh yeah, that's a, was that's a And I'm looking at the Quest for Glory Wikipedia page now. I'm like, this article is about the video game for the airport. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Excuse me. Um, Ekandugar Suite Heliport. A village in southern Greenland. I'm like, I'm, why is the... What? <laughs> How would you conflate these two things? I am not sure, but I'm wondering what, in fact, is the translation of this, um, whatever I... the language is in Greenland, name for the heliport. Yeah, I can only assume that they come off very similar when translated into the same language. I was like, what in the world is that? Um, Okay. But yeah, the the top tier of uh, 8-bit RPGs is a pretty, like, long discussion in and of itself. Yeah. But, I mean, not always. I mean, a lot of it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the bad and the ugly greatly outnumber the good. Yeah. Uh, unless you want to go for, like, some of the really deep cuts of, like, Enix putting out, like, a gigantic SNES cartridge containing a game called Just Breed. Mm-hmm. I think that's a tactical RPG. Yeah, that's a tactical RPG. But that actually was just a Famicom game that came out super late, that's, like, 1992. Yeah. So, Okay. Yeah, we listed like six or so interesting like games that sort of presage the kind of RPG design that would become prevalent on the Super Famicom. Yeah, I think we mentioned pretty much all of the what's it the seminal works. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, moving on. Budai, there seems to be a very negative backlash to where Bioware is in the industry. So, do you think Anthem will be a success? It seems they are trying to dip into the Destiny formula. I can't speak for whether I think it'll be a success. I kind of think it's a mistake by virtue of the fact that, like, for the past, like, eight years or so, Bioware and Bethesda have both been trying to get good at each other's jobs, and they both still suck at it, but they're getting worse at doing what they used to be good at. It's like basic strategy, people. If you are struggling against a competitor who is really good at what he does... Don't try to copy him. Try to find something <laughs> Seriously, you need to find where the market isn't served. I mean, take a page out of Nintendo's handbook. It's like, 
Okay, let's let's take a look at what the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One can do. Okay, can we match that? Maybe. Can we do better? Probably not. Let's do something completely different. Yay. Money. <laughs> yes. Success. Uh, Profit. Money. But yeah, like Anthem is just like... Watching that entire E3 video was just depressing because it's just like oh this is destiny except everyone's iron man eh. i like i barely needed one destiny in my life i definitely don't need one from a company that has historically not been good at action games yeah. <sighs> and you know continuing to leave behind a core competence of strong characterization and narrative yeah. which doesn't fit well with the like entire design like the way Bioware's methods of storytelling and characterization don't fit well with the like narrative structure of that kind of game it, yeah. it really feels like EA wants them to fit a game and like we need this kind of game and it's not they had any sort of creative idea on how on what how to what make that game should be right how to make that sort of game and make it different from other stuff it's just uh, we need you to make a a game that fits into this checklist. On the bright side for them, I mean, like, if any game is going to steal Destiny's lunch while it, uh, right now, like, right now would be the attempt time to do it. Uh, I think they're going to miss the boat, because uh, the recent Destiny 2 expansion was uh, outsourced. Did that assuage a lot of concerns? No, it was outsourced, which tells me that uh, they are all hands on deck for their fall update, which means it's probably gonna, it's probably gonna be good. So, like that's gonna be, that's gonna be the make or break point for keeping Destiny to a going concern. Yeah. So I feel like th their game is just gonna come out too late to cash in on all the backlash. I'm excited gonna, for a year over. from now when Anthem becomes Anthem Battle Royale. <laughs> by which point, Battle Royale games will no longer be in vogue. Yeah, sounds mm -hmm. about right. Chasing the was it chasing the trend instead of trying to make it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You never doomed yourself more to being behind the times, especially in a game develop in a something with timetables like video game development, where a few years is an eternity. Yeah, just tell Square Enix about that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. <clears throat> Speaking Oops. of Square Enix, next question: How would you feel if someone didn't die in the Final Fantasy VII remake? I assume he's... I think we can all guess what someone he's talking about. Yes, of course. and I would say that this would completely break the game's story. Yes, if, I feel those, like I if, if those Avalanche members that get crushed and killed didn't die, that would totally ruin the experience. I feel like I should point out that in a oral history of the FF7 development cycle that happened a few years ago, there was a very illuminating... Uh, reminiscences about the decisions made about who would die in FF7 and when. Because they talked, Nomura talked about a period during development where the game's script was set up such that you would go to the revisit Midgar at the end of the game and anyone that you hadn't brought with you who hadn't parachuted out of the high wind would die because the high wind would get shot out of the sky and everyone would be killed along with it. Well, wow, that his, would be really awesome. Actually, I think... No, no, keep that part. That would have been really awesome. His response, uh, I feel, was illuminating, though, because he said, 
no, that doesn't work because Aerith's death no longer means anything. That's one person dying in a very pivotal, pivotal moment, whereas your other option is everyone dies all at once, and there's no time to think about it ever again. Good point. Good point. So I think he understands the emotional arc of that story well enough to continue on as its director, so... Plus, I mean, plus if they change that part, we would have to change our spoiler button on the forums. Yeah, oh, that would bro. suck. That would suck. It's grandfathered in. And all the all the spoiler jokes of spoilers, Eris dies. It, they'd be all. It'd all be ruined. That would almost make the jokes better. <laughs> as soon as the remake comes out, it will be gain exposure to a whole new generation of gamers who have never played the original and don't actually know who dies. Please stop hurting me by reminding me that time exists. Yes. So just imagine that in about a year or two, we will be flooded. um, All the message awards will be flooded again by kids wailing about how she dies. And in about a year or two, we will feel really, really old. You're saying we don't already? Older, older. In about a year or two, one or more of us, one D, one D three of us, will crumble into dust. <laughs> Do we get a saving throw? No. No saving throws against Ultron, dude. Oh. This is like asking if you get a saving throw for being thrown into a volcano. We don't. You don't. As no, it turns no. out, when you fall in lava, there's no save. <laughs> yeah. But what well, about... for that matter, if we're on the Tomb of Horrors and we reach into the wrong hole with the Orb of Annihilation. What about you my... went into the Tomb of Horrors, you needed multiple character sheets to start. What about my Cloak of Fire Protection? That's not... Fire isn't lava! It's your opinion. Okay, seriously, <laughs> rocks fall, everyone <laughs> dies. Mm-hmm. DM sick of this. We're done. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like there there was recent news that imply like they gave a hard deadline of when FF seven remake has to be done by like twenty twenty three, and it's not clear if they mean the project as a whole or the first game. It's hard for me to say because they recently had to throw out a significant amount of work that had been tr- contracted out to another studio, and AAA games take five years to develop. Hmm. So, <laughs> who knows? We'll find out when we are either not playing it by until 2022 or it's out in 2019. Do we know what studios work they chucked? They chucked a bunch of CyberConnect 2's work. Oh, that seems... Okay. That seems, that's that not seems confusing. Bad work. Cyber, CyberConnect 2 was definitely the company that was doing a bunch of the design work, and it's not clear what dispute happened that caused this like they're obviously being very cagey about it but they seemed to want to move as much of the project in-house as possible whereas before they seemed to have been experimenting with how much they could outsource hmm. so we don't we ha- we still don't know what cloud looks like anymore because we know that he his model got retouched at some stage and we haven't seen it since so Ooh. They apparently fundamentally tried to make him look dorkier, so that'll be uh, fun. Okay, that's... If you don't remember FF7, you don't remember that Cloud is a gigantic dork. I, uh, I think at this point I remember more FF8 than I do FF7. Which is weird, because FF8's all about forgetting things. <laughs> well, he never judged in the good Guardian Force, apparently. 
No wonder his stats are so pathetic. <sighs> yeah, right. Wow. No wonder he doesn't even know how to use items. Mm-hmm. Oh, to uh, finish up Budai's commentary here, uh, what could they do in this remake to really turn you away? I think we covered that. I feel like E3 is really going to showcase it, maybe, and Square will have a game that isn't a troubled development for once. I think we've already discussed that, too. Um, the irony so. is I think that a lot of things that look like troubled developments probably aren't as troubled as they come off. It's just, again, Square announces them five years too early. Yeah. Like, a lot of games that seem like they had a smooth development cycle seem like that because the company that's making them was smart enough not to announce them until they were ready to show them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Who knows? I'd like to see the game sooner than later. Like, I'm confident in the, like, they brought in enough people whose names I trust, but I feel like you're probably going to see more of, like, Left Alive than you're going to see of a 7 remake. I'm not even convinced anyone else in the call remembers what Left Alive is. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the uh, Front Mission MGS knockoff. Oh, 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 yeah. Is that called Left Alive? Yeah, that was uh, Left Alive. Sure. I just remember it because they actually like it's it made me think of MGS so much because they literally hired the same artist who did all the character artwork for MGS. It's just Yoji Shinkawa. If you can't beat him, copy him. Yeah. I mean, Konami's not making Metal Gear anymore. You might as well. Yeah. But what about um, Metal Gear Survive? Oh, the game that did so well, they didn't even mention it on their last investor call? <laughs> did it come out? It came out in, like, yeah. February, dude. Oh, okay. Like, that game, like they were talking about how their mobile, mobile division was posting record profits, and they did not even deign to mention that Metal Gear Survive had happened, let alone to talk about how well it did. Which leads me to believe it did really badly. Yeah, that sounds about right. A fitting punishment. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't think we have much else to say. Like, I, I don't think that this development is going to go untroubled, but it's difficult to say, like, are you counting the pr what, like, a failed experiment without sourcing is troubled? Hard to say. We don't know enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's going to take longer than people expect it to, which is... Like what we, how we measure troubled by in most parts of the industry. So <sighs> we live in a game in a world where a big budget game takes five years to develop, and uh, at least it will be delayed at least one year past its original projected release date. So, yep. <sighs> and I guess uh, to make sure that we can get through this the rest of the the end before gaijin's gone i will read out this last one have you ever played the legacy of kane or soul reaver games i haven't but some people claim it's the best storyline in gaming i've played all of them it's super melodramatic but i love it <laughs> i have not played all of them but what i've played seems really fun so yeah, i know them mostly secondhand from college because i had some friends back then who played them so um i remember sure. Um, like dark and gritty at the at the time when dark and gritty was still cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, they've got a 
Like they they were written by the person who went on to write Uncharted one through three, and she's got a very good ear for varying types of dialogue. And in this case, it was like very faux Shakespearean, like, uh, like dudes elo- getting eloquent at each other about uh, whether fate or free will exist. It's a, it's very overwrought, but it's a fun kind of overwrought. So I got no complaints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it ha- apparently it had a good story at a time when that was not necessarily known for that kind of game, and so people remember it very fondly. And I really cannot say anything more about that, whether or not it's best or not. A lot of it also had to do with the fact that it had much better voice acting than anything else in the industry at the time. Yep. They had actual people who did voice acting for a career doing all the voice acting. Like, the big the big villain is Tony J. God rest his soul. Uh, you had Simon Templeton, Templeman, who, like, you might recognize. Nowadays, he mostly just shows up as a background role in various Bioware games. But, like, he's, he's one of the main characters. Michael Bell, who did a lot of voice acting at various points in his... Has, has done- a lot of voice acting for cartoons throughout the decades, but also I, re- I I most fondly remember him as being some random goober in the Star Trek TNG pilot. <laughs> but like all of them just sort of uh, shouting at each other about yeah free will free will's free will's a big preoccupation that the very convoluted story about time travel that doesn't quite make sense but tries really hard so it's a uh, it's not the best story, but it is one of the best examples of someone continually running out of time to actually finish a game and then having to stretch what was supposed to be another hour's worth of story content into an entire another game. Hmm. Yep. So, yeah, an interesting game. I wouldn't say it's one of the best stories, but it is a fun story. I wish that the series had any sort like, it was kind of a big deal at the time, but it's basically been forgotten to time. <laughs> Who even owns the rights? Is it still with... Um... It's Square Enix. So it's Square Enix? Yeah, because the rights were with IDOS, and then Square Enix bought IDOS. They actually had a pretty far along... Huh? Say what? What? Oh, I thought someone said something. No. no. Okay, they, they had a pretty far along reboot that was supposed to be a PS4 and Xbox launch game that... I like I found a YouTube video of that was just like someone playing through the tutorial. It took it was like 50 minutes of video, so it's like this is pretty far along. There's voice acting, like there's obvious bugs, but like this this game is shaping up to finish. And then like seemingly when it failed to hit launch window, they realized they didn't have any other way to market it, and they just killed it. Oh. But they they've done weird things with that property ever since. They turned they tried making what amounted to like a multiplayer arena shooter, which is like the most nonsensical thing you could possibly do with that license that never left beta like that when people actually played it they just got really pissed off and they threw threw in the towel on that before anyone really could try to spend money on it (laughs) but yeah otherwise nothing well it's been fun but I need to get going okay it was always a pleasure alright sir we'll see you next time hopefully so yes see you next mission Hopefully we'll have a lot more questions. Hopefully. We can dream.
Okay. Well, see ya. Bye-bye. See ya. Uh, so yeah, we that's we are totally out of questions. Uh, so let me just wrap the show up with uh, what have you been playing, if anything. Uh, we're talking about Kingdom Hearts: Chain of Memories. Um, that's right. You said you were playing that. I'm still not sure why, but I'm I've, cool I've with this. I realized that I'd never, I had never finished it. Ah, so you need to see what. Uh, story details you have missed. Yeah, it's a it's a weird game, and I respect its attempts to integrate plot and uh, plot and mechanics. Like I, I realized, I've realized while I've been playing the the games recently that they they have a surreal amount of dedication to intermingling plot and mechanics in a way that a lot of RPGs would not. So like. As I was looking up what info there was on Kingdom Hearts 3, I realized I, I looked at a comment from Nomura about how like they had shown in a trailer uh, Sora casting a fourth level attack spell. So like yeah. he cast Blizzaza, and like that is like the the plot explanation for that is that only like really experienced Keyblade masters can actually cast spells like that. So. The reason you couldn't before is because of that, and that's only, like, people like Mickey could do that. And then, like, as of Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Final Chapter Prologue, Aqua could also do it. And because he is improving in Kingdom Hearts 3, Sora can finally do it as well. Hmm. But, like, Chain of Memories is obsessed with the idea that, like, everything, like, they... That game makes no sense as a 3D game. It is designed to be a 2D Game Boy Advance game, and so, like, it's designed to be... The cards exist to modulate the combat, to make it a little slower so that you can see what's going on and process it on the Game Boy Advance screen. So they built an entire, like, plot that built was built around the idea that all of Sora's memories had been trapped in these cards. And so, like, the only way you could get new attacks was these cards, and the only way you could get to new worlds was these cards. And because his memories were trapped in the cards, he's losing them as he's using the cards. And, like, it's... It's very, like, they built a game that could not possibly function without these cards. And that's why you can see the cards just floating around in certain environments that are that are technically Chain of Memories environments that appear in Kingdom Hearts 2. And it's easy to not tell what they are, but it's like when you play Chain of Memories, it's like, oh, that's the exact same card design from Chain of Memories. Hmm. That's what's going on here. Interesting. I but never, there, I never noticed real, that. Oh. But there's there's a real attempt to inter to intermarry the idea of like something can't just exist because it is convenient to gameplay. It has to have a story purpose, and so you get these very strange like the game bending over backwards to justify something that most games would have just like that's how it works. It's fine. And but in this case, no, it's not good enough that that's how it works. It's fine. It needs to have some reason as to why it works that way so i've been i've been respecting that like chain of memories is about the the simplest form of card game they could have made it's it's a weird action rpg combined with the card game war so eh, it's it's not it, it can't like bring forth full full flumed hatred the way that uh, a proper card game can from me so i'm i'm getting through it i i just finished halloween town okay 
Oh yeah, uh, the which means that I now have the next set of worlds, which the game conspicuously cuts out the Tarzan world because of rights disputes. Ooh. You will note that the only time Tarzan world ever shows up is remakes, and uh, uh, remakes of Kingdom Hearts One. Yes. And every time that it does. There's a big copyright of the estate of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Tar- like, Tarzan is a copyright of that. So, they can't use that anymore, as it turns out. Whoops. But, yeah, like, I think I... Like, I do appreciate that Hundred Acre Woods is also in Chain of Memories, and just like regular Kingdom Hearts, Heartless aren't allowed in there. No enemies get to appear in the Hundred Acre Woods. <laughs> it is a world too pure for conflict. So I'm interested to see how that how that world ends up working in Chain of Memories. So what you've been playing, Wales? Uh, well, I've still been playing Alliance Alive, not super far in there, but that continues to be very interesting. A little on the easy side, but otherwise pretty fun. Uh, I'm gonna pick up Strange Journey Remaster tomorrow, and probably I think it's Redux, whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, but also been doing lots of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Nice. And also fiddled with some recent uh, other RPG ports to the Switch to write an article about, which will hopefully be up soon. Oh, uh, I'm interested in writing that. Yeah, it's just a quick thing about how are the how do these games translate to the Switch. They're all fine. How good of ports are these, basically? Yeah. So it's going to be like uh, Battle Chasers Night War, uh, Darkest Dungeon, and Saturday Morning RPG. Nice. Yeah. I hope those are good ports. Those are mostly good games. I can't speak for Battle Chasers, but the other two I've got at least some idea of. It is a very (laughs) good game and a very good port, as are the others. Uh, Spoiling your entire article, you're burying the lead! Well, yeah, that's. I did have a little trouble writing it, so I'm like, well, these are all good ports, so there was like a minor issue with Darkest Dungeon, which I talk about in the article. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, for the most part, they're good ports, and I highly rec- recommend them. Especially Battle Chasers Night War, which people probably forget even came out, given how many good games there were last year. I can't believe, I can't believe people have forgotten the hard work of Joe Mad. He was He was the comic artist associated with uh, Battle Chasers, right? Yes. Okay. And I... And he worked for uh, what's it called? The studio behind the Darksiders series. Darksiders, yeah. Like those, those were very distinctly like you looked at Darksiders cover, and it's like this is a '90s comic book artist as hell. Yeah. And then you look it up, and it's like, oh, it's Joe Mad. That makes, that explains a great deal. Yep. So uh, I don't know if I don't think he is involved with the newest Darksiders at all, because I don't think that's the same studio but I, I i they ate a bunch of the they ate a bunch of that studio when they thq nordic uh and gunfire games gunfire games is who made it and i want to say gunfire games is largely a reincarnation of the old studio but i'm not sure okay and there's airship syndicate which is the ones that made battle chasers which i think has some some of that same old staff, but probably not as much as whoever's making Darksiders, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, like a turn-based game. Um, mostly linear, but the combat is like... The combat feels like 16-bit 
like Square Enix RPG-ish type combat. Uh, with, mm. with obviously with some more modernist modern-ish touches, but yeah, it's been pretty cool. Um, definitely worth checking out. That comes out officially on tomorrow, so probably by the time anyone is listening to this. Mm-hmm. And the other two are already out. And those Saturday morning RPG is getting a its own limited run on Switch, I believe, on the 25th. Put your pre-orders in. Yes. I think that's one of theirs that's like made to a specific number based on how many pre-orders they get, but I'm not sure. It, it is, so that's what they've done for all the Switch pre-orders, unless you do like uh, one of the collector's editions. Which is nice, because it means people can actually get them. Yeah, I do like that more than the limited runs. Uh, speaking of which, Cosmic Star Heroine limited run is going to be on the same day. So their, website, game, is, their website is probably going to crash or something, and they're going to miss out and be unhappy. I believe in you, Will. You're going for a, which version is that going to be? PS4 and, PS4 and Vita, so... Oh, PS4 and Vita. Uh, obviously, Vita is the one I would want because that's like a almost three gig game on the Vita. Oh heavens! Yeah, so I really want a cart for that. I'm still just like holding out desperate hope that it ends up getting a Switch port. I could see it happening. I don't know what. I don't know if it's like a Unity game or what. If they used any engine like that. They, they've so mentioned sure. the desire to do it a few times. I'm just not sure if they have the capacity at the moment, given how many th- people are actually employed there. But That's true. Here's to hoping. I think I remember they may have gotten a Nintendo dev kit, at least. I don't yeah, I remember hearing that they had a dev kit. So, I mean, hopefully they intend to put that to use somehow. Yeah, <laughs> at least we're getting Undertale on Switch. Oh, man. That that freaking Undertale Nintendo Direct trailer is still magical. <laughs> uh, I still love the uh, the PlayStation trailer. I don't remember which one that was. It starts with like uh, a, it's like a a commercial for like a monster truck rally. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I really enjoyed the interview with Toby Fox that got translated into Japanese. Did not, I don't think I saw that. Yeah, they, they did an interview with him for Famitsu because it was like, ah, oh, we're pushing this indie game that's like Earthbound. Like, because that's, you know, it's, it's Sony was, I guess, trying to give it some sort of, not, not Sony per se, but whoever was publishing in Japan was trying to give it some sort of push. So, like, they did a, an interview with him and uh, that, like, got translated into Japanese in some capacity. I know I know it was uh, localized by 8.4 Play. Did they like also publish it? I don't feel like they're a publisher, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really know, because I know they do some cool stuff in Japan. They do yeah, a lot I appreciate of, they do a lot of cool stuff. That they're a localization company that goes both directions. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Because they require very very different approaches. Yeah. 
So we've both got a lot of video game on our plate. And... Yes, and obviously E3 is soon, and who knows what other nonsense will be announced. We'll hopefully be back to our normal schedule from this point forward. Yes, and on the uh, being on the new site now, it should be a quicker process to post because I don't have to sit there and be like, oh god, I don't feel like editing HTML and XML files today. You're you're giving the game away. You're telling them the process. Uh... Oh well. But yeah. Anyway. Um... Also mentioned that uh, the the other podcast I'm now working on on occasion, The Hunt, all about Monster Hunter, which oh yeah that's right hey I I feel like a Monster Hunter game got announced or something. Oh yeah, one of those uh, Monster Hunter Ultra Cross maybe. Monster Hunter Triple X is coming to the U.S. You keep thinking it's that, and I keep telling you that Japan has a lot of Monster Hunter Triple X if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Monster Hunter Double Cross is coming to the U.S. as Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, only to Switch. As of yet, no word on the 3DS version. I feel like we're not getting the 3DS version. Yeah, very unlikely. Uh, but at least they are bringing over part of the save transfer system they had in Japan, so you will be able to copy your Monster Hunter Generations save from your 3DS to the Switch. Oh, you won't destroy yourself this time. No. <laughs> I remember what happened when you tra- when you like ran into like the game won't let me transfer saves anymore. Oh yeah, that's um I wonder if that's even part of the reason why they aren't bringing the 3DS version over cuz their their uh convoluted save transfer system was utter crap. And I say was I say was like I don't still use it all the time. I suspect yeah. a lot of it is trying to make the game look more like the latest and greatest after Monster Hunter World was popular rather than looking like a gussied-up handheld spin-off. Sure. Um, it's the most Monster Hunter ever. But yeah, the the save transfer system was crap. Like, so you had to link your you had to link the two systems together, and if for some reason, say you didn't understand the instructions or f them up a bunch of times, uh, it if you link and then delink, um, there is a like a f- five link limit. So if you somehow manage to screw it up five times, you cannot r- link again, and you let's, will no let's longer. Let's not discuss be, anyone we know who did that. Well, I mean, it's as it you, was hard. It was in another language. Yes, as you can imagine, it. Yeah, it's quite difficult in another language. It was probably hard enough if you knew the language they were speaking. Yes. But thankfully, I was planning on upgrading my Japanese 3DS anyway, so I could just use the new one. Which, yes, I understand seems ridiculous, but I was going to do it anyway, so it's okay. It's okay. It's It's all okay. Everything's fine. Don't judge me. (sighs) Yeah, so Generations Ultimate. You've got a you got an entire another podcast. I'm going to start my own podcast. It'll be about Kingdom Hearts, and no one will want to be on it. <laughs> I'll be on that. Don't do this to yourself. Uh, what are you going to call it? Hearts Cast? Hearts on Fire? Kingdom Cast? 
keys to the kingdom. 358 over cast. Two podcasts. So oh. that, that would mean that it would just have to be two people. 358 podcasts over two. <laughs> I don't think I could find someone who would want to listen to that, though. So we'll we'll table that unless someone says they really uh, want No, to. I got it. I got it. Birth by podcast. Wow. I think that might be a different podcast. That might be a podcast about parenting. <laughs> hmm. We'll workshop this. we got to get okay. moving. Tell everyone where they can put questions. Uh, so right now you can send questions on the forums. There's not going to be a new thread, but you can... Um, Might make a Q&A quest general crap, thread. Yeah, I don't know. Really, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and make a Q&A quest general thread somewhere. Probably, I don't know. Uh, easiest would be to leave a comment on the episode itself, which will have a single post, whether you see it on the front page or you go to um, the archive of episodes and check it out. Either that way. That is a place you can guarantee we will look at it. I yes. promise. Yes. Scout's Honor. I, which is probably, since I hated being a scout, that's probably not a good thing to say. We will look at your questions. We will answer your questions. Uh, we can, will conjure questions from midair. You can tweet them at wheels as well. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, also, Twitter is always a good place to send in questions. Um, I am at Ask Wheels. That's the easiest place to send them. Um, and I think that's it. More possibilities may someday exist. TBD. Yes, TBD. <laughs> So, uh, I guess so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah. So long and thanks for all thanks the fish. Thanks for all the fish. Well, so sad so that it should come to this. Now I know what music I'm throwing in here. I think we've done this before and I don't care. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care. It's happening. All right, see you all next time, folks. See ya. You may not share our intellect, which may explain your disrespect. So sad that it should come to this We try to warn you all, but oh dear You may not share our intellect Which might explain your disrespect For all the natural wonders that grow